facing a crisis in your life or business? Take the helm and steer yourself in the right direction. It's time to take charge and make things happen with your host, Lynn McLaughlin. Good day, everyone, and I want to start today by thanking our viewers and our listeners for your incredible support as we take the helm every week, liking, subscribing, following whatever platform that you follow, whatever podcast app or on YouTube. We really appreciate it and want to thank you. And with that, let's introduce this week's guest. We have Dr. Tara Egan with us. And if you are going through a difficult divorce or about to, please stay tuned and listen in. We have a lot of insights from Dr. Egan that is going to help you really put your family as a priority, co-parenting, parallel parenting, and how we can support our children. Thank you so much for joining us, Tara. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate being here. Well, I just did a quick little introduction. Tell us more about yourself and what you do. Okay. Well, I am a child and adolescent therapist. I was a school psychologist for a long time in the public schools, working with kids who are struggling with adjustment issues, behavioral, socialization, things like that. And then about 10, 11 years ago, I decided to leave the school system and make sure I had, you know, all my credentials squared away to work in private practice as a therapist. And since then, I've been building a practice focused on supporting kids who have behavioral issues, who are struggling with things like anxiety, aggression, um, you know, big emotions, and then developed an, a more, even more of a subspecialty in working with families who are experiencing separation and divorce. So I do a lot of work with just parents, you know, oftentimes co-parents who are trying to keep their relationship child focused and productive. And then I often work in a family format, like within the family system to help kids and parents adjust to the new circumstances after they've experienced a separation or divorce. And then sometimes as families reconform and they reconfigure and they start a blended family, also supporting them through that process. So I'm a divorced parent. I'm remarried. I have stepkids and biological kids. And so it's a topic that's really near and dear to my heart. Well, we have so many connections here. I mean, as you know, I'm a retired superintendent and uh, part of my portfolio was supporting the children in our school system with anxiety uh, through our psychologists, our social workers, you know, and uh, very, um, I'm kind of torn about you leaving the school system, but the clinical practice is so, so, so needed and the difference that you make can make to families uh, is remarkable, I'm sure. We have so much to dive into here. And I also have a, a child who experienced uh, debilitating anxiety for a period of her life. So well, I might, let's go back. Let's go back to uh, the period in your life where that divorce was so difficult that it put a strain on your family. And let's make the connection to everyone else out, out there who's doing the same thing or going through the same thing right now. Well, and that was when I made the shift from working in the public school to working in private practice because it gave me more flexibility to be responsive to my kids and um, just navigate through the process of having them, you know, spend, spending time with both parents. And so, you know, we experienced a lot of difficulty in adjusting. My ex-husband and I did. Our kids were, you know, three and five years old. And I do think that generally we were able to keep their routine going. They had a lot of really loving, supportive people in their lives. You know, we were able to financially provide for them. So fortunately, I think 
as hard as it was to have us not be all living under the same roof, there was a lot of continuity that we were able to provide. But between me and my ex-husband, we really struggled to get to a place of productive co-parenting. And, and still to this day, we do a lot of parallel parenting and it's now, you know, 10 years later. So, um, you know, we figured out our way to make sure we keep conflict low, that we get everything done that we need to for the kids that they're provided for. Um, we're both remarried now. And so, you know, we've definitely moved on in our lives. And, you know, if you, if I look back from where I am now to where I was when we initially separated, like there's aspects in which I'm a different person. And so, and he is too, and in good ways. It's always easier in retrospect, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have so much compassion for parents who are in those first few weeks or months, or even the first couple of years after a separation, there's so much growth that's happening and so much transition. A lot of times your, your friendship group changes, you know, how your families respond, whether they're supportive and helpful or judgmental and take sides, um, you know, your financial world or your job you know, your working life changes. So there's, there's so much transition that happens. And when I'm working with parents who are just in the beginning stages, you know, it's like, well, they're separated and they feel like, oh, they made it through this hurdle. Like, oh, we did this. We're separated. Like, oh, we made it. And it's like, oh, actually this is step two of a, of a long journey. Mm -hmm. And I love, I love it when they feel hopeful and positive, but you know, sometimes there's a wave of something really hard that happens and that can be very, um, just inspire like despair sometimes. Mm -hmm. Well, you as a, you as an individual are going through, you know, a lot of, uh, new things. I would think that, you know, maybe your other half did in the past, or maybe you did together and now you're on your own. And then if you're a parent, you're looking at that whole piece. I want to go back to what you said, co-parenting and parallel parenting. What's the difference? So co-parenting is, um, preferred, you know, if, if that can be, a goal for you and your ex, that's a fantastic goal to, to strive for. So what that means is that parents are able to interact in a productive, generally positive way, um, keeping the kids' needs at the forefront. You know, they are honoring their relationship, their ex's relationship with the kids, and they understand that it is in their kids' best interest to feel connected to both parents. Um, these are parents who are who are more likely to have appropriate and satisfactory conflict resolution because everybody has conflict, especially couples who've been separated or divorced, but they can work their way through them and, and, um, and, and move on to caring for the children or being focused on the children. So it's typically amicable. They can share experiences with their kids. Like maybe, you know, they're both on the sidelines at the soccer game cheering, or maybe they're both attending the school, the parent teacher conference. So these are parents who have absolutely set aside or maybe not set aside, but they're able to have their kids well-being be the primary um, aspect of their co-parenting life. Got it. Got it. With parallel parenting, these this is more appropriate for parents who have high conflict and are really struggling to communicate. They're not able to stay amicable. Um, they're not in a space where they are collaborating when it comes to discipline or um, altering the, or modifying the schedule in any way. Like they're not really able to be responsive to the other parent. And so in order to keep the conflict low for everybody's sake, because 
as much as we don't want kids to experience or witness conflict, it's super hard on the parents too when they go to open up their email and they're just dreading seeing something from their ex or, um, you know, they, they are getting bombarded with text messages and it can just really eat away at parents. So sometimes there needs to be some really firm boundaries and it might even be as significant as you attend soccer games on Tuesday nights and I'll, I'll attend the ones on Wednesday night. Um, you know, it might mean really not doing any talking to each other in person. Um, which is sad to me. It's sad to me to think that a, um, you know, a couple that had children together can't wave and comment on the beautiful weather at their kid's soccer game. It's certain, you know, and we'll give each other the cold shoulder or whatever. I guess That's the circumstances are different in every relationship and how it breaks up. And I just want to add a little comment. I mean, I was a principal, an elementary school principal for many, many years and seeing the conflict um, as parents were separating or their exes, um, where they speak so negatively about their ex in front of their children was was really quite, uh, I was so taken aback. I think that can be so detrimental to children. What, what would you say? It is probably one of the most significant like mistakes that parents make um, as they're going through separation or divorce. Sometimes there's passive aggressive comments. Sometimes there's snide comments. Sometimes yeah. there's name calling. Um, I'll give an example. Like my ex has never written my name in his phone. So when he has to call me, he has to dial the number every time he won't save my name, Tara in his phone. And I don't see it. I don't, I'm not in his face. I don't see him use his phone, but my kids see it. And it's hurtful to them that like, I don't warrant enough respect to just be in his phone. And if somebody, something happened to my kids and somebody went into his phone and tried to call the kid's mother, there's no reference to me. Mm. And it's, a, it's, it probably feels like a small thing, like, you know, some kind of snide thing that, you know, a, a feeling of control that he gets not having my name pop up in his contact list but it hurts my kids. Mm -hmm. And um, whereas he's in my favorites, you know, I call him by his appropriate name. You know, I don't have some horrible nickname in there. Like I see some parents, you know, they'll have the mom listed as, you know, some foul word or something like that. I mean, your kids see that they do. So I, I absolutely agree. I think that is extremely um, hurtful and negative for the kids. And there's a lot of parents who do it. And when you call them on it or you ask them if they do it, they 100% deny it. So, you know, and so, and unless you're actively catching them doing, doing it in front of the kids. So if they, let's say they have a horrible derogatory nickname for their ex and they say it to me in a session, but the children out there, I, I would never say this in front of the kids. Mm. I'm like, mm, yes, you would. You have, I had um, a, a, an eight-year-old tell me, sometimes my dad calls me, um, bad words. And I, and I said, well, what kind of words? And she said, he calls her the H word. And oh. she goes, you know what Santa says? Mm. Well, and, I was just about to ask about, you know, what is the effect on children? So anyone out there who's doing this and, and not admitting that you're doing it, you know, in your heart, it's wrong. <laughs> you know, maybe it yeah. makes you feel good in that moment of time, but you know, in your heart and it's wrong. So what are we doing to our children when we behave this way, Tara? Well, there's part of the kids that you're rejecting because your ex is part of your kids. Mm -hmm. And so um, if you're saying, well, you know, I hate how your mom is so focused on her art 
it's so silly that she cares about that stuff. Why doesn't she have a real job? And then your kid also likes art or admires their mom's creativity. Like you're rejecting a part of them. You know, my kids have their dad's eyes. He's beautiful blue eyes. And I want them to know, like, I love that you have your dad's eyes. I always admired his eyes. They look beautiful in you. Like, I don't need to be married to him to appreciate the fact that he gave my kids blue eyes. And so, you know, if you are recollecting your time with your child's parent is only being negative, like you're just filled with regret that you ever met this person, spent time with them, they understand or they, they interpret that as you regret them. You're also pitting, you're, you're making them choose between parents very often back and forth. Which side do I take? And most of the time, honestly, it just doesn't go your way. You might think it's going to go your way, but it doesn't. I've seen it happen over and over where kids, they get smarter. They recognize that they're being emotionally manipulated. They recognize from all the other places that they're being taught, you know, from their teachers, from their churches, uh, you know, from other family members, like this isn't how we talk about people. And they feel oftentimes a lack of respect towards that parent who talks like that. And I hear it from adult kids who, you know, like my friends and colleagues who experienced that when they were young. I hear it with the kids I work with now. I mean, as kids as young as four or five years old mm-hmm. um, will say, you know, my, my dad hates my mommy. And it's heartbreaking. And they'll say, you know, I don't know why my mommy's, my mommy's so smart and pretty and kind. And it just, it's just a poison. And I think that parents sometimes who speak ill about their co-parent, they feel like they're telling the truth. They feel like they're being responsible by letting their child know how that parent really is. It's important that she know he cheated on me because I don't want her to grow up and trust someone falsely. Or I don't want her to, to not understand that her it was her dad that abandoned our family. And I'm like, your kid does not need to know your husband had an affair. She just no. doesn't. She's six. And still, still the father. The father, yeah. regardless, through the, throughout their entire life, he's still their father. <laughs> right. And, I, and I, I would rather they focus on, and I encourage this to be done with the counselor, not the parent, but on, on what's relevant to that kid's life. So if you have a dad who says he's going to come and pick them up at six o'clock every Saturday and he doesn't come to say, oh, I know you're disappointed. I know this hurts you, you know, um, validating. Yeah. Yeah. But validating their feelings. Like, mm-hmm. Honey, your, your daddy really loves you. And I'm sure he could be here if he, if he, you know, I'm sure he wants to be here. Like you actually don't know that some dads actually don't want to be here. So don't tell your kids false things, but you also don't need to be like, what a loser. He has let us down over and over again. And I remember three years ago, he said he was going to bring a birthday present to grandma's house when we were having a birthday party. And he didn't even do it. Like your kid doesn't need to hear that. Your kid can be, you can acknowledge to your kid. I know dad said he was coming. He didn't come. You know, I know, you know, I can see you feel sad because you're crying. Let's think about what we can do tonight instead. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's some things that parents can do that's not dismissive if their ex makes a misstep that doesn't expect kids to walk it off or get over it, or we don't need to gaslight kids into, you know, not seeing something that is clearly there. 
but you're not doing your kid a favor by sitting there spewing hateful things or memories that you had that they have no business being involved in. Thank you so much for that. Okay, so I want to jump over to communication because you help parents uh, to learn to communicate appropriately with each other. What kinds of things would you do if, if I were someone going through a divorce and called you Dr. Egan? Well, sometimes what we do is kind of lay the groundwork for um, healthy boundaries and keeping conflict low. So there's some common sense things in there, like don't be friends with your ex or his new partner or his extended family on social media. Mm. It's not your business that they went on vacation on a weekend that you had the kids and he spent $1,000 renting a boat. Don't torture yourself with that. You know, don't sit there and remember how your sister-in-law and you used to be so close. And now there's these fun pictures of them all having dinner together. Like, don't torture yourself. Don't get in their business. There's just some things like keep that boundary. And so I think having, making sure we're keeping like triggers low is really an important sort of baseline place to be. And then over time, I teach them about how to express a question or a need or even an expectation to their ex while remaining calm and respectful and positive. And um, also how to avoid getting into traps of going round and round and round about a topic. You know, what types of things, like if you get an email and it's 10 sentences and eight of those sentences are complaining or, you know, I'm disappointed in the amount of exercise that Johnny gets when he's, at, when he's at your house. I feel like you're feeding him a lot of high-fat foods, and then you're not having him go around and, and take walks in the neighborhood, and sometimes you get him to practice late. What time is this, his practice on Thursday? Like, All right. You know what you need to respond Drop to? Drop down to the last what, line. <laughs> yeah. What time is practice on Thursday? Exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, we will, and we'll see parents and, and they'll, they'll write back. Well, we take walks three times a week, but sometimes, you know, he doesn't want to go. And, and then it turns They're defending into themselves. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know what? Like, wow. you know, it's message heard, message heard that your ex is concerned about your child's exercise. You can absorb that and decide if there's anything you need to do to modify that. But like, you don't need to defend yourself to this co-parent. And then, and also know that chances are whatever you say is probably not going to be viewed in a really respectful, they're not going to be like, oh, thank goodness she shared with me that with me. I feel so much, (laughs) you know, I feel so much better about this now. Like usually it just invites more criticism. And so um, we don't need to get into that, that dynamic of, of just, of just doing that. Around and around, as you said. Yeah. Yeah. So having, having some, some healthy boundaries, having some healthy communication strategies, even things like you might have to send your ex's email to a different email and only open them once every other day at a time that you are equipped emotionally to handle it. And away um, from your children. <laughs> yeah, and away from your children. Absolutely. You know, and helping them recognize, you know, what is just you replicating unhealthy patterns of behavior when you were married. Like that didn't work then, it's not going to work now. Um, and what are our new fresh ways you can approach it? So oftentimes when I work with parents and we work in sort of a parent coaching format with, with the co-parents is um, I tell them, like, I encourage them, I want you to each have a session and tell me whatever it is you want to tell me. Whatever it is you feel like I need to know background, whatever you want to show me, like 
get it out on the table so you're not making passive aggressive comments in co-parenting sessions or feeling unheard because I don't know the backstory, mm-hmm. you know? And I use that time obviously to validate feelings, but also to say, to point out like those instances of, you know, I've noticed you've referred to your ex with this foul word several times and, you know, tell me how you got to that space and can we shift how you speak of her or even just what you call her. Her name is Mary. Let's call her Mary. And um, just do a little bit of shifts here and there during that private session because nobody wants to feel undermined or corrected by a counselor during a co-parenting session. Mm. So I have a lot of opportunity or I make sure that parents have time with me to themselves because that's when some of the real feedback and um, proactive suggestions could be given. Those typically don't go, aren't well received if they're done in front of the co-parent. And then during our joint co-parenting sessions, we really focus on like what decisions need to be made about your child. Like I know you're arguing over whether or not, um, you know, she's allowed to get a cell phone or he needs testing to see if he has ADHD or a learning disability. Like how are we going to actually solve this? And so if when I work with families who are local to Charlotte, we have an added benefit of me being able to get to know the kids, maybe even observe them in an environment where they're struggling. So those parents have the opportunity to have me know their kids. And so sometimes that can help them feel invested in a recommendation when it's not just this random best practices recommendation that doesn't feel personalized to their family. If I work with families outside of the Charlotte area, you know, I work with the co-parenting model I do, I work with families across the country. There are times when, you know, I don't have that type of access. And if there's some information they can give me, you know, a psychological report that they had, or they want to show me a video or something just to be able to express like, this is my child, this is who they are. Um, As much as possible, I want them to do that because I want them to understand, like, I care about their kid. My recommendations are individualized to your child's strengths, their challenges, you know, where they're at developmentally you know, looking at their background and what they've experienced through the process of this divorce or, or, or anything else that's, that's been a challenge for them. Mm-hmm. Because I really want parents to feel like I can be a helpful third party that's skilled in child development and counseling so that if I offer an alternative or a compromise, or I'm able to say, hey, actually having a six-year-old be on YouTube for four hours a day developmentally Mm-hmm. isn't a great choice. And let me tell you why. So right. it's not like, well, you're just siding with mom, you know? So yeah. I really work hard to be uh, nurturing, but structured and direct and good communicator with the families I work with. And I have to say, it's a model that seemed to work very well so far. Well, anything that minimizes conflict <laughs> in a situation that, you know, very often comes with anger um, is very helpful. And I appreciate you doing this. You also have a podcast. Let's talk about that. So I have a podcast called um, One Day You'll Thank Me. And I started it with my teenage daughter at the beginning of COVID. And we've, we're still going now. Uh, 18 months later, we're just entered our fourth season. And we have a combination of what we call solo episodes, which means my daughter and I will pick a topic to discuss and we do research on it. And an upcoming episode is one on bullying. Um, or we'll talk about what gaslighting is, or you know, some some typical psychological terms that teenagers, for example, might experience. But then we also do 
really in-depth interviews with experts. So we've done episodes on porn addiction, on eating disorders, on depression, on anxiety, on strategies for kids with ADHD. Um, We've had lawyers and occupational therapists, teachers, um, physicians. And I have to say our, our guest experts have been so gracious with their time. And I am part of several networking groups. I've been in this field for 20 years. So I'm lucky enough to have colleagues that are very um, giving with their time and they have such a strong skill set. And so sometimes the episodes that we focus on are just things that have come across, like I've met somebody or had a conversation with somebody and I think, wow, this would be helpful information for our audience to have. And other times I have to admit, I'm kind of biased by whatever's going on in my kids' lives, you know? So there'll be a topic that seems really near and dear to experience they're having. And I'll think, maybe we should have a guest come on and talk about that. And it's perfect. A fresh it's professional and your personal life connected. That's, that's what it's all. That's how we connect with people. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So it's been a real, um, I don't know, like passion project. And as much as I want all my listeners to benefit from it, we've had a really great response from it. I also love, it's just this thing I'm doing with my daughter. Yes. Oh, that's beautiful in itself. Well, we'll put the link uh, to your website where people can access your podcast as well at the, uh, in the show notes at the bottom of the video right. and, or the audio. Um, now we got to talk about you're an author as well with three books. And the three, these three books, you know, are making a difference in many people's lives in helping us understand behaviors in children. Let's talk about your books too. So my first book is called Better Behavior for Ages 2 to 10. And I wrote it in 2013, right as I was really going through the stickiest time during my divorce. It is not a book about divorce. It's really a very um, detailed, not detailed like burdensome, but it's, it's, it's a really nice description of ways that parents can set the tone in their house to have a nurturing, respectful environment where kids are, are good listeners and they are, treat their parents with respect. And it's just been a resource I use over and over. And it's actually sitting next to me right now because I actually refer to it so much. It's the blue and white book. And if you were to go to Amazon and type in Tara Egan, E-G-A-N, you'll find all three of my books. The blue and white one is for kids age two to 10. I also have one called Adolescence, a Parent's Guide. And that is more focused on preteen and teen. And it actually goes up through those um, kind of launching years as kids transition from living at home with their parents to, to living more independently as adults. And that one talks about several topics within each age group that is um, relevant. You know, it talks about peer pressure and social boundaries and the role of technology and social media and sort of like what the developmental stages kids go through in their teen years to help parents navigate it. And then my most recent book, is the first time mom's toddler discipline handbook. And that is for parents who are having their, who are, who have an infant and they're about to transition into toddlerhood. So they, maybe they have that one, two, three, even four year old, and they're in the world of temper tantrums and (laughs) having their kids, you know, be responsive to mom and dad and um, uh, get into good routines and have enough structure for your kids where the day feels a little easier but you're still really embracing your kid's personality. 
And, and I guess a, a key point in this, and I was speaking to someone about this uh, as a guest on a podcast just yesterday, knowing what those developmental milestones are. So it, when you say something's not right here, and then you know to go and get things checked out and catch things early and be proactive, I think is really important too. But there's so much to know as a new parent, right? So thank you very much for, for helping us and, and, uh, and others out there. Grandparents too, you know, things have changed a lot since my, my kids are in their 20s. So I've got to learn all over again. <laughs> Yeah, I have to say I've gotten some nice reviews on Amazon from grandparents who've written who've read the books. The books I write are meant to be easy reads. Mm-hmm. They're not meant to be highly academic, difficult to get through. Um, they're meant to be really relatable, have real life examples, and give strategies that are are can be used in the here and now. So um, it's they're enjoyable to write, and and so I always want parents to come away with really practical recommendations. I don't want to talk theoretically about parenting. I want to talk about, you know, the logistics of it, but then like what what to do? What's what's some tools you can use to get some relief from having such a stressful job? That's what we needed. And that's what everyone needs now. The tools, not the philosophy, not the background, not the history, what to do in this moment based on what's in front of you. I love what you have on your website, helping families become happier and healthier as a, I guess, is that your motto or your tagline? Well, I- yeah, I guess it's been a tagline. I think that if you look at my website and you kind of, you know, read, I've had parents say, like, it's like you're talking about my family. Because oftentimes when parents come to me, they're really not enjoying their parenting time. You know, it feels stressful. They feel a sense of helplessness. Like, I don't know what to do when they tantrum or I don't know what to do when they say these things or do these things. And, you know, you when you go to to, to start a family, you imagine like these fun moments you imagine that they're going to hold your hand and that you're going to you know ha- not have tons of conflict and sometimes that's just not how parenthood is working out for you and so parents call me and they just they're not feeling very hopeful about their connection with their with their kids or their co-parent if they're going through a separation or divorce so i think that my goal is to have them not feel so alone and to feel like they have the resources and tools to move forward in their parenting life and feel successful and competent. Um, and it's all, and also be able to handle the times where they, where they don't, because, you know, kids aren't predictable and they're going to do some things that feel really out of left field and perplexing. Um, and some, some parents really struggle to not be in a space of like, this is hard. I don't know what to do. Yeah. This is not how I imagined it would be. There can sometimes be a lot of grief that comes from parenting when parenting is stressful. Mm -hmm. And knowing when we need help, admitting that we need help is a big step. And you are offering something for parents and guardians right now, I believe, are you? Well, you know, if parents, I have two websites. I have um, Charlotte Parent Coaching, which is my Charlotte area, Charlotte, North Carolina based practice. But for your audience, I, I would really encourage families to go to my drterraegan.com website. You can access my books. You can access the podcast really easily. And there are some services that parents can access. I have a couple online courses, but most relevant is the parent coaching services where you can um, look over the, the descriptions of the services that I offer, you can set up a free consultation call for 30 minutes with me and let me know what your concerns are with your family. And I'm going to be able to help you figure out what next steps are. Sometimes somebody will set up that call and I'll say, Hey, 
I'm not going to be the best fit for you. Let's get you hooked up with somebody who specializes in substance abuse or eating disorders. And I can use my network of professionals and we can see what we can do to get them in the right spot. Other times I'm the exact right person that can support them. So I really do encourage people to check out that resource, look through um, what it is that I do. I do have a YouTube channel, um, but my main source of communicating information for the general public is the podcast, which comes out every Wednesday with new episodes. And, and once again, it's just called um, One Day You'll Thank Me. I thank you, Dr. Egan, for all of your insights this week uh, and being with us to take the helm. Thank you so much for having me. Now, in addition to Dr. Egan, we have had almost two years of episodes with Taking the Helm. Guests who have shared their personal, their professional experiences and in ways that have changed their lives for the better. And you can search the archives by topic of anything that you might be interested in at lynnmclaughlin.com. Now, next week's guest is Aggie Heal, and she has written a book called Generational Panic. She's going to give us all of the tools and the techniques if we are experiencing anxiety as professionals trying to get back on track. Thanks, everyone. Have a safe and healthy week, and we'll see you next Wednesday. Thanks for listening. To learn more from people who are steering in the right direction, go to lynnmclaughlin.com and search the archives of every interview or subscribe to this podcast feed. A new episode is published every Wednesday.